Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Well, go to Hebrews chapter number 11, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 11. We are in the front end of a series called By Faith, where we're walking through uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, this beloved chapter of the church. And we have been able to look at the first uh, four verses, and today we'll cover a couple more. And I love that song we just sang because it, it spoke so well to what we covered last week, looking at Abel. Uh, this man who by faith offered a more excellent sacrifice. And he did that not because his, his sacrifice was necessarily better, but he looked to it and he knew that it wasn't his own works and his own righteousness that, that would somehow earn him right standing with God, but it was a blood sacrifice. And that was a prototype of what was to come all through the Old Testament, all pointing to the cross of Calvary where Jesus would be the lamb that was slain for us. But today we get to look at the life of Enoch. I'm not sure how many sermons or Sunday school lessons you have received on the life of Enoch, but my guess is not very many. So we're going to read what the scriptures have to say, which isn't a ton. Uh, there is a, a good bit of extra biblical material on Enoch, but there is not a lot in the scriptures themselves. And so we're going to read this together and we will cover what we can this morning in the time that is allotted to us. Hebrews 11, look at verse number five. By faith... Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Today, we're going to hang most of our thoughts on the idea of relationship with God, but we will, at the end of the sermon, spend just a small amount of time on the reality and the reliability of God. But I want you to notice, first, the relationship with God. Careful students of Hebrews 11 have long pointed out that this is an unusual instance in verse number 5, where you have all of these by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and Enoch is one of the few that when you see he did something by faith, you really don't see what he did. The verb here is passive. It is that Enoch was translated. Typically, you'd have an active verb. You would have that Abel offered a sacrifice, that Noah built an ark, that Abraham sojourned. You would have these very active verbs on by faith, these people did something. And this is different. It tells us that Enoch, by faith, was translated. And you're left wondering, what was it about this man's faith that caused God to translate him or to take him. And Enoch is admittedly a little bit mysterious to us because if you look at the entirety of Scripture on his life in the Old Testament, you have three verses. You don't have chapters. You don't have long stories. You don't have lots of reference points. You have three verses. But if you look at those three verses, which we will in a minute, you will find very clearly that Enoch by faith walked with God. And we know it was this faith, this walk with God that was so special that caused God to take him home to heaven without death. 
Some have said that Enoch was the first astronaut, that he left the planet without dying and uh, was the first one. And you're left wondering, what is so significant about walking with God? And you really have to zoom out, and you have to get Enoch's in Genesis 5. You have to get the entirety of the creation account, Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, all together, to really grasp the significance of this. You find Genesis 1 and 2, the creative order, and God making everything good. And then in Genesis 3, you find that sin happens. And Adam and Eve fall, they sin. And there in their sin, they become estranged from God. And you find in the first instance of walking with God, in Genesis 3, where God comes into the garden in the cool of the day to take a walk with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, because of their sin, they hide from God. Because of their sin, these humans could no longer stand intimacy with the infinite. And they hide from him. They're estranged from him. And because of their sin, they become estranged from God. They begin to war with the creative order in ways that they never had to before. And they begin to fight creation itself. They begin to struggle with their bodies, and their bodies become subject unto disease and death. And then in Genesis 4, you find that they begin to become estranged from each other. And the first homicide steps onto the pages of Scripture where Cain kills Abel. He murders him. And all of a sudden, in, in almost one fell swoop, there's all of this hostility, all of this estrangement, all of this violence and killing now. And then Genesis 5 comes. And when you read Genesis 5, it reads like an ancient obituary column. You read Genesis 5, and it's these people, and what it will say is, here's this person, here is their offspring that is surviving them, here's how long they lived, and they died. And here's this one, here's their offspring that's surviving them, and here's how long they lived, and they died. And it does that over and over again. So, for example, I won't read you the whole chapter, but Genesis 5.11, all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Three verses later, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Three verses later, all the days of Mahilalel were 895 years, and he died. Three verses later, all the days of Jared were 962 and two years, and he died. Get the picture? The death bell tolls ominously over the whole chapter. And then you get to verse number 21, and in this desert of death, there is this flower that blooms by the name of Enoch. And it says in verse number 21, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch shows up. If you zoom out and you just get a little bit of perspective on Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 Genesis 5, and you, when he pops onto the pages of Scripture, you're startled. You, you see this and you say, whoa, whoa, time out. Somebody can still walk with God? Somebody can still experience intimacy with the infinite? How is this possible? In Hebrews 11, we'll tell you it was possible by faith. And this idea that Enoch gives to us, that we as people of faith should walk with God, is something that is so seminal. It is so important to the Christian life. In one sense, when you look at your Christian life, there are a lot of regulations. There's a lot of do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt not. But in another sense, when you accept Jesus Christ by faith, there's really only one big regulation. Stay locked on, focused on walking with God. Have relationship with God. And you need to know, 
That your life of faith, your spirituality, while you have to come to Jesus by faith and trusting in his sacrifice, that is first. We saw that with Abel last week. But once you do that, what do you do? You do Enoch. You walk with God. And spirituality and living the Christian life is not a matter of just knowing a bunch of Bible facts, although I'm all for you learning them. It's not a matter of you having all the doctrinal wrinkles ironed out or having this this code that you conform to, although I'm for you ironing out the the doctrinal wrinkles, and I'm for you looking at what God says to do or not do and obeying that. You have to understand that that your Christian walk really isn't a matter of just spiritual highs and exciting experiences, and it's not a matter of recipe. It's not a do these three things and then you'll be a good Christian. That's not how it works. Your relationship with God is not a piece of Ikea furniture. It's not step one, step two, step three. Just put it together and follow the steps and everything will be good. Those things can seem spiritual, but you're chasing the shadows. Our walk with God is not supposed to be mechanical. Our spiritual lives are not supposed to be mechanical. You say, what's it about then? If it's not about those things, what's it about? It's about relationship. It's about walking with God. It is about intimacy with the infinite. And while Bible knowledge and doctrine and following the rules and spiritual experiences have their place, those are not the end. They're a means to an end, and the end is walking with God. The end is knowing God. This is, I don't know that you could put all of why Jesus came uh, under this umbrella, but this is definitely a massive part that Jesus came. Why? To reconcile us to God. We the people who were at odds with him, we the people who had this animosity and this hostility, we the people that did not have the right relationship with him, that when he comes around the corner, we want to duck him. These people, Jesus said, no, I want to bridge the gap. I want to be the God-man, and I want to take God and man and put them back together. I want to reconcile them. I want there to be relationship that is renewed and restored again. If you're married in the room, how would you feel if your spouse said, you know what, I want to be a great spouse this year. I want to be the best spouse I've ever been this year. So I'm going to to Google how to be a good spouse. I'm going to find the list, and I'm I'm going to do that checklist. And while there may be some helpful tidbits on that checklist, if your spouse fundamentally said, I got the checklist, I put it in chronological order, and I know what to do. Valentine's Day's flower, check. Anniversary, date night, check. Birthday, one present. Christmas, two presents, check, check. When I, when I it, Google said, the list said, when you hang up the phone, say, I love you, bye. When you go to bed, kiss her on her forehead. And they did, they did the list. You would say, I don't want that. I mean, I want some of those things, but I don't want them just to do the list. I want them to have a relationship with me. I'm not a piece of Ikea furniture. You can't step one, two, three me. I'm more complicated than that. I'm a person. Don't treat me like a thing. Treat me like a person. Talk with me, walk with me, get to know me, have a heart for me. Yeah, sure, wash the car, buy me flowers, take me on dates, but do it for the right motivation. Do it because you love me and there's a heart for me. Now, is God any different? No. Does God have some things that he wants us to do, that he wants us to to be uh, gospel-centered Bible students and he wants us to know doctrine and he wants us to be faithful? And does he have a list of, hey, don't commit adultery and don't steal and don't lie and cheat each other and do go to church and, and do stay committed to your marriage? And does he have a list? Sure he does. But is that list meant to be just do the checklist and then I'll be spiritual? Then I will have a relationship with the Lord? No. You you. 
You miss it all if you miss the reality that the first, the most important, the greatest commandment was love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The first and the greatest and all the law hangs on that. If you don't love him first, if you don't walk with him first, if you don't have a relationship with him first, you can do all the law, but you're missing the, the big component that it all hangs on. Love him. Have a relationship with him. Love him with all you have all the time. Now, we fall short of that. Sure we do. None of us love God with all that we have all the time. We get distracted. We forget him. We suffer from spiritual amnesia often. We do. But that's the most important. That you love him. And Enoch understood this. Enoch understood it was relationship. Enoch walked with God. Those who have a heart to keep the most important thing, the most important thing, and walk with God, generally speaking, they're going to have a trajectory that, that is far surpasses those who get sidetracked and do not walk with God. And Enoch is a man who walks with God. And I want you to ask yourself these questions this morning. Be honest with yourself and say, do I treat God like a thing and not a person? Do I treat my prayer life? Your prayer life will show this pretty, pretty easily. Do I treat my prayer life as though it's a relationship with a person and a conversation with a person? Or do I treat it like a Christmas wish list and he's Santa? Do I come to church to worship him? Or do I come to church just to keep up appearances and have people see that I'm here? Those are all questions that will indicate, is my heart for God? Do I want to adore him, have affection for him, walk with him, love him, have relationship with him? Because... He wants relationship with us. And Enoch, by faith, understood this when his contemporaries did not. But I want you to notice a couple things about this man's life. There are two phrases, one in Hebrews and one in Genesis, that just jumped off the page to me as I, as I studied these that really got my attention. One is the catalyst of his walk with God, and then one is the conclusion of his walk with God. If you look in Genesis 5, you may have read right over this phrase. It says that Enoch lived 65 years and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. And then listen to this phrase. He walked with God after he begat Methuselah. Now, I don't want to overinflate the scriptures. But I have to believe it's saying something like this. Having a child is a dramatic experience. How many of you can remember having your first child and it was a dramatic experience for you. Raise of hands, okay? It's a dramatic experience. It really is. And apparently, best we can tell from Genesis 5, this experience of having his first child, Methuselah, was so dramatic that it caused some sort of positive spiritual upheaval in this man's life. And while it could not be said of him for the first 65 years of his life that he walked with God, it could be said of him that that was, that was a line of demarcation. That was a moment in his life that after he begat Methuselah and he became a daddy, he began to walk with God. I heard one pastor say it this way. They said, men are like trucks. They drive straighter with a load on them. And I don't know that I have a verse for that, but perhaps we could use Genesis 5 verse 22 as a verse for that. That the responsibility and the weight of becoming a dad to Methuselah was something that was so impactful and so heavy in this man's life that he began to drive a little straighter. He began to actually want to walk with God. 
in ways that were not present before him nor were present uh, in his contemporaries. And I think it's fitting to just take a moment and say, dads, moms too, but dads especially, there should be a little something extra that motivates us to walk with God because we have children. It's not to say that a single person can't walk with God or someone who has adult children who are all grown can't walk with God and it's just for those that have kids inside the home. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying if you are a father or a mother, but especially a father, you should have something extra, a catalyst inside of you that is churning and burning and going and saying, I want to walk with God. And I think Enoch is a challenge to the dads. And dads, I want you to take the challenge to understand that your, that your parenting matters. Your relationship with the Lord will matter in parenting. Your involvement in your child's life, your willingness to sacrifice for them and to not be selfish, it all matters. Beyond the sports games and beyond the reading the books and beyond just being a part of their lives, there should be something that says, I need to have an authentic walk with God because my children will know if I do. And every parent in the room knows it to be true. You can fool them when they're three and you can fool them when they're six. But by the time they get about junior high, you can't fool them. But what it says, not only is, here's this catalyst, that after he begat Methuselah, then he started walking with God. You also find the conclusion of his life in Hebrews chapter number 11. And it's very intriguing to me. It says in verse number 5, he was translated that he should not see death, and he was not. Because God had translated him, for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What it says is that Enoch was a man who had a testimony to those that were around him while he was living, that he was a man who pleased God. It tells you to live your life today so that those that are around you would be able to take the witness stand and testify on your behalf that you were a person who walked with God, loved God, pleased God, that you should live your life in that way. And then it says, and he was not found, meaning at least somebody was looking for him. When he was gone, people went looking and people missed him. One commentator said it this way and it struck me. He said, be like Enoch. Live your life in such a way that people will miss you when you're gone. Leave a legacy. I think it's an important lesson. He lived his life in such a way that people wanted to find him. They couldn't find him. They missed him when he was gone. I hope that that is a desire of all of our hearts. And that's not a given I know that when we go to funerals, even the funerals of those that you're struggling to find something nice to say, that we generally come up with something nice to say, but it's not a given that you'll live your life in such a way that there'll be a bunch of people that miss you when you're gone. That's not at all. What's the easiest, fastest way to get to that moment? Walk with God. And you want to be the person, I know deep down you want to be, the person that gets to the end of the road and people miss you. And your spouse or your children or your grandchildren or even your coworkers or your boss or your neighbors or anybody, they miss you and they feel like you had a legacy that they would want to continue. But that's not a given. I've never been at a funeral and, and seen the munchkins walk in and sing Ding Dong, the witch is dead, but I've been at a few where they could have, honestly. And you don't want that to be you. You want to be someone that when the conclusion of your life is written, 
They say, you know what? We miss them. They say, you know what? There was a testimony that she walked with God. There was a testimony that he pleased God. There was a testimony that they lived a life of faith. Live a life of faith by walking with God. That's what Enoch says. But in closing, I want you to see, and I'll elaborate more on on this verse next week. I want you to see verse number six, because they connect together. Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. Verse number six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch had a testimony of pleasing God. How? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please him. By faith. That's how verse 5 started. This really echoes what Romans 14 would tell us, that whatever is not of faith is sin, and you cannot please God without faith. And there are two really, really, really core components to having a faith in God, or if you want to walk with God, there has to be faith. Faith in what? And it says two things. Number one, the reality of God. And number two, the reliability of God. The reality of God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that God exists. Now we saw in verse number three, we covered that last week, that there are evidences. No one is asking anyone to just have blind faith and put your brain on a shelf and just believe that God exists contrary to the evidence. That's not the case at all. There's evidence and there's rationale and there's logic that you put into that to lead you to a faith decision. But ultimately, you have to have faith that there is a God that he in fact does exist. And as the psalmist would say, it's foolishness to say that God doesn't exist. Certainly he does. And some would even say, okay, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. You can't do that. If, you, if, you're, if you're trying to be Christian or you're trying to look at the Bible, that don't work. Because Jesus made it very clear, and if you read the whole book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews will make it very clear that Jesus and the Father are the original buy one, get one. Okay, you, you, you get one and the other. Jesus said very clearly, you believe in God, the Father believe also in me. I and my Father are one. That, that we go together. It says, you have to believe that there is a God. You have to believe in the reality of God. But then he says, you have to believe in the reliability of God. And this, for most Christian people, is where you can get off kilter and perhaps what ruins your walk with God. Not that you don't believe that he, that he exists. Not that you don't believe in Jesus. But he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And let those words sink in. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He is the father that is looking to pass out gifts. He is the father that is desiring relationship. He is the father that is wanting to reward. And you can rest assured that God's character is reliable and he is faithful. That if you seek him, if you want to walk with him, if you want to pursue him, that he will not stiff arm you. He will not punch you into the other end zone. He will not take your heart for him and trounce on it and stomp it. We know, we know what it's like to have a heart for someone and want to love them or to pursue them or want relationship with them only to find out that they don't want it in return or they acted like they wanted it in return but they really didn't want a relationship with us. Many of us know what that is like through junior high, through high school. Maybe you had a, a really, really bad dad or mom or parent or both 
perhaps in a dating relationship or even a marriage, you have experienced that hurt. And that can make us skittish. It can make us back up and say, well, what if I trust my heart to God? Will he do the same thing? Many people have a perception of God that he's just the one looking for when you do wrong so he can smack you upside the head and that's it. That's God's job. Throw a lightning bolt at us when we do something bad. And you have to understand the faithfulness and the reliability of our Heavenly Father. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'll touch more on this next week. But the propaganda machine that Satan has of accusing God that God does not want what's best for you is his oldest sin. When he came to Adam and Eve, he came to them with a lie. Don't trust God. He doesn't want what's best for you. You eat that fruit, you'll know right and wrong. You'll be like him. He's trying to hold you down. He's, he is trying to, to take all that you could be and all that you could have, and he's trying to limit you. Don't trust him. Do it your way. And that lie has been in our heart for a long time. And there are many even Christian people, thoroughly Christian people, who say, yes, I need to repent of my sin, and yes, I need to put my faith in Jesus, and yes, I want God to take me to heaven. I can't earn it on my own. I, I need to put my faith and my trust in him. But then they just go through the rest of their Christian life as though there's no relationship and there's no heart and there's no warmth, and he's not a loving heavenly father, and he's not a rewarder. They go through their, their Christian life with drudgery, twisting their arm behind their own back, trying to keep all the rules and trying to do this and do that just to, just to try to earn God's favor or God's smile, and that's not the way it works. God is reliable. He wants relationship with you, as crazy as that sounds. He wants to welcome you. He is the father of the prodigal that says, come here, let me give you a hug. Let me put a robe of righteousness on you. Let me bless you. And if you don't understand that, if you don't believe that, if that truth does not marinate your heart, you won't walk with him. You'll be scared. You'll be skittish. There'll never be the trust that you need, and you need to have the faith, not just that he exists, but that he is, in fact, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think you could take the whole sermon on Enoch, and you could perhaps sum it up in this way. If I had to give you the moral of the story, here it is. Exercise daily. Walk with God. Each and every day, make it your heart's desire to first and foremost live out the greatest commandment, that I will love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, with all my strength. And if Enoch could walk with God, so can I. And I want a relationship with him. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. 
Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.